0: We're going to jump into God's word this morning, and uh, uh, if you haven't been here, we have been talking about this 3D discipleship, moving forward in our vision of discipleship, kind of a little bit of shift for us in what we're doing in, in what we call huddles that, that we want everybody to be a part of, and what we have basically said in a nutshell version is we want, if you are new to Jesus or if you're new to following him, we want to help you follow him. And we also want to challenge all of us that have been doing that for a while to start to help others follow him more faithfully. So it's really simple. In discipleship, we want you to be one to follow Jesus, and we want you to make one in the sense of helping others. And we've said that this word is what it's all about. We get uncomfortable in life with following Jesus, and we'll talk about that. We'll look at two gospel texts today that he points this out. And so if you feel this as you follow Jesus, you are probably doing it right. If you don't feel that, you probably aren't doing it right. So there's a little mini sermon in a nutshell there. So that's okay. And reviewing from last week, believing in the Great Commission, the authority of Christ, obeying the commands of Christ, and depending on the Holy Spirit, the trust and the dependence that we have in the presence of Christ is really what motivates us forward in discipleship. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. And uh, we'll, we'll also be looking at Luke 9 briefly. But these are Jesus' words as he's walking the earth, and he's teaching people about himself. And so he's teaching people what it is to be a disciple. And these are, this is one of his many in the gospel's interactions. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Tough words. I'm gonna pray and ask God to illuminate that, explain that by his spirit for us to open our hearts and minds. I'll pray for us, but you pray silently if you've never done that. Just ask God, would you, would you speak through your word? This is some pretty harsh language. Would you make sense of that in my life? And I'll pray for us. Collectively, let's pray. Father in heaven, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together that we can sit and pause before you and open this book. It's very relevant for us in our life. Um, very understandable. If we seek you in it. So Father, help us to Understand what Jesus was saying when he walked on this earth and how that is relevant for us today. And Father, challenge our hearts, encourage us, guide us, convict us that we'd apply these truths and follow Jesus more faithfully. We just wanted to, we desire to to praise him and to exalt him and and seek him and we pray these things in his name and all God's people said. Tough question. Would you be... Okay with coming here to this church Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and not being a disciple of Jesus? Would you be okay with that? Maybe another way to phrase that is this How would you feel if Jesus Himself told you, You cannot be my disciple? What if He told you that? What if He tells you these things? I wanted to start this morning by reading William Barclay's brief paragraph regarding these questions. He says it this way. It is impossible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, to be a camp follower without being a soldier to the king, to be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man. He said, so-and-so tells me that he was one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly, He may have attended my lecture, but he was not one of my students. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It is one of the supreme handicaps of the church, that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus. They attend lectures, but they are not his students. Somebody asked me last week if our new program, if you will, and we don't want to really call it a program, but a new discipleship movement that we've launched if it would push people away if it was too intimidating and my response was yeah it will it will it will it will push people away it will make people feel uncomfortable why i think three reasons first of all because of change there's the word again i'm going to leave it all all week okay first of all for change that that is just different than before number 2 it is this it's just uncomfortable for partly the change, but also just an accountability. And, and some of us have been walking with Jesus, we're saying, we're stretching you a little bit and saying, hey, you need to like lead others towards that too. And, and not in this like gross way where we're saying, you need to like witness to 50 people and like teach 50 people. We're saying, just help somebody. Can you help someone follow Jesus more faithfully? And there's a commitment there. And so that's the second thing, but probably most notable and thirdly, because that's what happened often in the crowds as they followed Jesus. He continually challenges crowds of people. You read the Gospels, you open them up, and all the time, all the time, crowds are following Jesus. And why wouldn't they be? He's the Son of God. He is God. Man, God, the God-man, flesh, indwelling with people. Emmanuel, God's presence amongst people. And there's always crowds, but he's always challenging them, always inviting them, but he's always saying, you can follow me, but do know this. It will cost you. It'll cost you. And for many, the cost was too great. Now, I want to offer this point of clarity before I dive in. There is a grand difference, and I need you to know this. There is a grand difference between following Jesus in the way of the Bible in terms of what it takes to be a Christ follower in discipleship and being a part of Real Hope's discipleship movement. I am not saying that if you're not part of the movement that you're not A believer, all right? That is a really important distinction. Today, I am focused on Jesus's words in discipleship, and so what I don't want you to hear is, well, you're saying if I don't belong to real hopes, huddle that I'm not a believer. I'm not saying that that is not my call. I'm not the judge of that. Someone also asked me last week, and I believe I addressed this question, can't I just come to church on Sunday mornings and read my Bible at home and still be a Christian? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And the answer is, assuming you are reading your Bible and fellowshipping with others and serving other believers and giving regularly and not forsaking meeting together and submitting to one another and doing all the one another's in the New Testament and submitting to teachers and elders and praying faithfully and carrying out the great commission and witnessing the world and teaching them to obey all the commands of Christ and evangelizing and giving yourself to mission. If you do all that, then who am I to say who you belong to. I'm not, and I'm not going to, and I really, I really need to make that distinction. We here at this church, me included, would just not know that you're doing all of those things when we see you 90 minutes a week. You could be doing great things for the kingdom, but I can tell you that you're likely not an active part of this fellowship. And so while I want to make that clear, there is a distinction between following Jesus biblically and saying, we're not saying you're not a believer if you're not part of this discipleship movement at Real Hope. We are saying you're probably going to be more disconnected to this church family in its mission. So there is a difference. Today I'm talking about being a disciple the way that Jesus, I understand he taught in the scriptures about what it says about his being, about being his disciple and obedient to his plan, not ours. So I'm kind of setting that aside. This isn't about huddles. This is just straight up. This is what Jesus says it looks like about being a disciple and a disciple maker. Fact is, he says a bunch of hard things in Scripture about what it means to follow him. And many don't want to hear it. Many want to spin it and say, well... Yeah, I just read that, but I'm not exactly sure Jesus was saying it that way. Some of us want to ignore it. As I read it, it probably made you feel uncomfortable when Jesus looks at people, and you're like, I'm here on Sunday, aren't I? And he looks at people, and I just read, you cannot be—that's harsh. You cannot be my disciple. But it's not harsh in the way of understanding when you just read the gospel text. Like many other passages in Scripture are hard to understand. This one, not so much. It's pretty black and white. And I have to say this, though, as before we dive in, this is a little bit of a side note, and I came to this this Sunday, and I'm wired this way anyway, but why do we apologize in the church so much for the words of Jesus? Like, I I understand the question of, like, won't this make people feel uncomfortable? And and you might be new here today, and I'm going to talk about the cost of following Jesus, but I'm going to be like, like, in this culture of, well, I can't make it too harsh, because then you're gonna be uninterested. These are Jesus's words. And so if you're new to Jesus today and you're new here, I would say first, two things. First of all, welcome, I am super glad you're here. Second, Jesus wants your whole life. I just don't know how to say it any other way than the scriptures say it. He wants all of you, it'll cost you everything. And if that's not for you, he makes that clear too. And so welcome, I'm glad you're here. It'll cost you everything. All right? I'm going to look down at my sheets. If you want to get up and leave, you can do that now. This is what it says in Luke 14. In verse 25, it says, And great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said this. Now, we have to stop. There's nothing really content-wise other than the Scripture saying, Jesus always, and I alluded to this, had great crowds. Many attended his lectures, but as many people that came to him so did many desert him, which is crazy because of who he was. I talked about this last week. He's a miracle man. He does all of these things. Remember last week in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, his disciples were with him. They saw him. Three of them, at least, saw his transfiguration on the mountain. They saw him heal. They saw him do all of these things, and they still, some of them, doubted. And so some people come to Jesus they're interested in him because he's attractional. And then when he speaks, they're like, ah, that's too much for me. And they desert him. So as many people came to Jesus, many people also walked away from him. Why? Because you couldn't be around him and hide. He always knew your heart. Now, I coach, and I still coach several, not several sports, like I'm like the coach, like big 10 coach of the year right here, right? that came out wrong. In my head, I thought I was like this great coach. I'm not, but I coached some youth sports, and I've done it along the way, and I've always done this during drills in volleyball or basketball, and you know line drills, right? Like, they call them suicides or line drills, and you run, and you touch a line on the floor, you touch it all the way, you run back, and then you run to the next one, you touch it, and inevitably, I do this drill all the time, and I'm always pretending like I'm not looking, but I'm always watching that kid who's doing this. He's like going down, there, like, And then they go and do the next one. They never touch the floor, and it drives me up a tree. And most of the time, I'll confront the kid. i say, you touch all those lines? Yeah, coach. You sure you touched all those lines? Because I saw you miss a few. That's what it was of being around Jesus. He always knew. And some of us treat our Christian life like that. Yeah, we're going to do the thing because coach said we should do the thing. But most of us will just be like, oh, we'll get close. But you know what? That really stretches all this stuff right here, so I'm not going to go all the way. And that's harder. It is harder to touch the line all the way. But Jesus makes his statement, it is tough to follow me, and you have to do it one way, which is all the way. And so in Luke 14, he talks about three criteria for being a disciple. In fact, he says, if you don't do these things, you cannot be my disciple. He says, here's the expectation, here's the bar, here's the level, at which you, you don't get like, here's 100%, you don't get like 99 He says, here's the bar. Now, I want to put the statement in there, like, we're not perfect, and we don't achieve this 100% all the time, but the attitude of our heart, Christianity has always been about a heart issue, should meet that mark. And so he makes this challenge. Note that he has just finished giving the parable in Luke 14 about the wedding invitation. People who thought they'd be invited but, or were invited, but they just made an excuse. So sometimes you need to know the context in Jesus' words. He's just told his disciples about a parable where people make an excuse for how they can't show up because they're busy doing this, busy doing that. So he understands culture, and he says in verse 26, if anyone, high invitation, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. People struggle with this text a lot because what is Jesus, the gracious, loving, compassionate friend of sinners, saying, if you don't hate your biological family, is how we read it, then you cannot be my disciple. Now, when you look at what he's saying there, the Greek word for hate is missio, which we'll see in verse 33 for renounce again, but this attitude is by comparison. Jesus is saying in this Greek word used in context there, he's saying, It means you're elevating something more than something else. You're loving something more and you're loving something less. He's using a word by comparison here. He's saying, if you don't love me more and love them less, he's not saying hate them, like go after them, be mean to them. That would be contrary to his teaching. He's saying by comparison in words, you need to elevate me in priority and I'm the only thing that you will give your heart to completely. And you need to love them less. And he's using this word in comparison. So he's not saying, treat them horribly, be mean, you know, be spiteful, turn on them when they need. He's saying, you need to love me more. And you also need to love me more than you love yourself, which is not the message you usually get in the world. And sadly, in many churches, you need to have self-confidence. That's good. You need to like be about you and you need to just like, That's the message of self-idol, like worship, like propping oneself. Jesus is saying you also can't be all about you. I said last week, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you don't set your agenda anymore. All the things that you want, we just sang about it. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm giving you my rights. Many of us just sang those words. That's the way of Jesus. I'm giving those things to you, and you can do whatever you want in my life. And Jesus is saying that's the first thing, priority setting. If you don't make me your highest passion, your only idol, Ten Commandments here, no other gods before me, you cannot be my disciple. The second thing he says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Not all of his disciples were going to be crucified. Not all of them were going to be martyred for their faith. So this is relevant for the context in which he preached it, and it's also relevant for us today. So what is Jesus saying here? Listen to these words. As I wrote them, I identified with each one of them. If you are a disciple of Jesus, listen to these words. Suffering. Rejection. Sacrifice. Sweat. Loneliness. Endurance. Rejection. Those are all words that if you are a growing disciple of Christ, you probably can identify with at some level. And these last ones. And to do all of that with joy and grace. And even forgiveness in your heart. When I look at what Jesus did at the cross, he did all of those things. That was his cross. To suffer, to be rejected, to be lonely, to be crucified and spit at and and endured that and rejected and mocked and all of those things. And he did it all with joy that was set before him, the scriptures say, and he did it all with grace and love and forgiveness. He did it even as people did those things to him. He said, forgive them. That was his attitude. It was one of joy and peace, even in that. And so should our our attitude be as a disciple, to endure in that way and bear the cross. The third thing he says is this in verse 33, and this one's a little hard to see. He kind of closes it up, if you will, at the end there. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What is he saying here? By proper definition, renounce here, like I said, it's from uh, a root of missio, which is this elevate something up as you minimize something. It's to formally declare one's abandonment of. In other words, we're saying, there's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than what Jesus is and who he is and what he wants to do in my life. That means no relationship comes before him. No no career, nothing. And Jesus is using a verb here that is not a one-time verb. That's another key thing we need to understand what he's doing here. If I said like I walked across the stage, most of you would say, yeah, that was a one-time thing. Jesus is saying renounce, like this is a, continual thing that you're doing. If you do not renounce, not just one time, and many of us see it that way in the church, I gave my life to Jesus, right? I decided, I said last week, I decided to follow Jesus. One time, renounce, and then I kind of just like do like kind of maybe touch the line sometimes, but maybe not touch the line the other times. Jesus said, this is like an ongoing pattern that should be in your heart. To make it clear, Jesus says, I want to make sure And this is why I said, we we all apologize for this in the church, but Jesus is saying, I want you to know the rules of the game. I want to make sure you know, as you're coming after me, as you're invited, high invitation, that you know it will be a challenge. I want you to know that it will cost you. Now, I've shared my, I think I've shared my baseball card trading escapades as a child. I would trade my brothers all the time. I collected baseball cards But I also, in college, and some of you know this because I think I've shared it, I funded my textbooks by selling baseball cards, buying and selling them on eBay, which eBay has become a little bit of a thing of the past in some ways. I know it still exists, but that's how I paid for textbooks. And my roommate and I formed this business together where we would buy these good cards, get them professionally graded, sell them, make a profit. And often, as the case goes, because these are baseball cards but they have value, you're always after the one. I shared when I was younger, I always wanted Ryan Sandberg's, even if it meant everything. But my roommate would always say this, as we both shared a business together, but as I wanted some of his cards, I'd be like, can I have that one, his prized possession? He said, you always can have it, but it'll cost you. It'll cost you. And such is life. There's, most of us know that anything can be bought with a price, right? But it'll cost you. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I just want you to know the cost of what it is to follow me. And he gives a few examples so they can understand in verses 27 or 28 through 32. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't really sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, people are going to mock you because you slay this foundation, and then you don't have enough. That's one example he uses. It's like you building this project, you lay cement, and then you can't like ever build what you need to build because, oh, like, I didn't know it costs that much. And he says it's the same thing in verses 29 and on. He says it's like a king, or 31, he says it's like a king who goes out to conquer, and you find out your army is a little smaller. How many board game players of the game risk? You know this happens all the time, right? Some You know this is going to be a bloodbath, right, if you're trying to roll the dice on, like, two armies versus, like, 13. It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, which king goes out to war— And then you feel, oh, like, they're bigger than us. That's the same thing. You didn't count the true cost of that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know if you follow me, it'll cost you. He equally wants us to know that it'll be the most joy-giving, life-giving, peace-giving, fruit-bearing, most secure, hope-giving thing ever. But he wants them to know the cost. So here we sit. Here you are, wondering this thing. Do I have what it takes? No, you don't. That's kind of the point. You don't have what it takes to pay the cost. And Jesus knows that, but that's the point of the gospel. He meets you. He deposits his spirit in you. And he gives you the tools and the gifts to say yes. But our response always has to come, a response. You have to choose each and every day how you live. But as you formulate that response, as you sit here to say today saying, man, like, I want to do that. I know I have to respond. I know I have to either reaffirm that. Let me give you one more passage and show you in Luke 9 what Jesus is talking about here. Because a lot of us look for the comfort of heaven without any desire to lose the comfort on earth. But Jesus not only prepares his disciples for trials, he says you ought to expect it, to expect uncomfortable. He says expect that in your walk. And in this passage in Luke 9, 57 through 62, he reminds us the cost of discipleship in these three areas, three men here, Three earthly comforts, three times as Jesus makes it, in a way, tough to follow him. As they're going along the road, this is what it says. As they were going along the road, remember, crowds are always with Jesus, someone said to him, and this is a response. Jesus is not approaching this. They came to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a pretty bold response. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. So the first one, he says that. Second one says, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, third person comes up and says, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, Is fit for the kingdom of God. This is classic Jesus. People are asking him or making declarative statements, and he's like giving them confusing responses, right? But there's wisdom in there. The first one we see is personal comfort. The foxes have holes, birds have the air, and of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere. This guy was pretty excited to follow Jesus. That was his response. And yet Jesus attempts to warn him, you might even say, discourage him. He wants him to know that following him means losing your comfort. He says you need to not just expect uncomfortable, but you need to embrace uncomfortable because that's what it will be when you follow me. Because the gospel affects our personal comfort. It affects every decision that you make. The gospel calls us to be selfless. It calls us to prefer others. That means we work hard even when we're tired. We are to sacrifice ourselves for good For those around us, we are to share the gospel and tell people that they are sinners. They need to be saved from an eternity in hell. We are to sacrifice free time for serving in the church and evangelizing and witnessing to the lost. We go on mission trips sometimes instead of taking vacations. Sometimes we even take a job overseas and lose the comfort of America for the sake of the gospel. And ultimately, it might cost us. We don't know this all too well in this country, but it might cost us a very life. Certainly, our freedom at times to follow Jesus. And so he says, it'll cost you if you want to follow me. The second guy he looks at, and this guy was all about financial security. Now, most people really struggle to understand this text. He says, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but you, like, you need to go and proclaim the kingdom. He is not telling this man that he cannot go to his father's funeral, all right? There's something way bigger happening here. Jesus calls men and women to be willing to forego an earthly inheritance. This man says this because he isn't talking about honoring his father. He's talking about waiting until his father dies so he can get his inheritance. He wants to be financially secure before he follows Jesus. So when his father, especially in modern or old cultures like that, different from modern day, when Not entirely, but different in the fact that the firstborn, probably in this case, got his father's inheritance. So he was waiting around till dad kicked a bucket so he could get his money. Now, that's a whole new perspective on the text. Now you don't feel so bad for the guy. And Jesus says, you need to forego that if you're going to follow me. It's like following Jesus is is like exchanging one dollar for a billion dollars. And yet many of us think that it's not worth it. It really is. So many people have a hard time. People because people will do anything for financial security, stab friends in the back, figurative, figuratively sometimes literally. Others sell their bodies, use the corporate ladder to cheat their way up. Paul says the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evils. Christians should be willing to give up possessions for the sake of Christ. This is the opposite of what the prosperity gospel preaches, that Jesus wants you to be financially free, healthy, wealthy, wise, all those things. It's not to say that those things are bad, but they're not in priority. Sometimes you might even lose a job or two because of our stand with Christ. Regardless, we gladly ought to, as a disciple, buy stock in heaven, knowing it is an investment that gives in return. But it will cost you your personal comfort, your financial freedom. And then this third guy comes along, And it'll cost you your family sometimes. Familiar harmony. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This man simply wanted to go see his family. Jesus, like, aren't you compassionate? He wants to go see his family, and Jesus warns him not to. Why? Because he knows if this man goes back, his family will convince him not to follow Christ. This family, your family. Wherever it is, whoever it is, is an incredible blessing from God. But sometimes it can be a source of temptation for many. A temptation that compromises the gospel to not serve the Lord as hard as we can. Whether it is parents who, for whatever reason, don't want their children to be in ministry or unbelieving relatives who constantly mock and discourage the zeal of believing family members, Satan uses family sometimes for harm in the Christian's life. And Jesus says in our text, we are called to even hate put down lower our family for the sake of Christ, and we must not resist or we must resist that temptation of allowing our family's word to trump God's. Many of you struggle in that. I already know your story. Your family doesn't understand why you follow Jesus the way you do. That can be a great source of discouragement. So Jesus is saying, sometimes you will even sacrifice family harmony for my sake. And he says, it'll cost you. So let me ask you these questions. In response to these texts, what is the master, Jesus, asking of you lately? What is he asking of you in your life, in this moment, wherever you sit? What comfort is he loosening your grip on? And you can feel the spirit now saying, you know what? I am really attached to this thing. What comfort is Jesus saying? I just want to like peel that out of your hand right now. What security is he just saying, you know what? You'll need to let this go if you ever follow me the way that I intended you to follow me. What relationship or heart tug, this can be from a mother to a son, a father to a daughter. This could be from a spouse to a spouse, from a girlfriend to a boyfriend, from any kind of relationship in human terms. What kind of relationship or heart tug is keeping you from following Jesus the way he desires you to follow him? What kind of relationship What kind of thing, like, I don't like, this is like, whether this is like just being anxious about your kid or your teenager growing up, like, is that what's keeping you from trusting in Jesus more fully? Or a marriage that's doing well or not doing well? What idol has your heart that Jesus says, man, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, like, push that down and elevate me if you're really going to follow. It'll cost you let me just close with this question as we transition our time to the table. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? You have to respond somehow. Do you want to just keep coming to his lectures or do you want to be a student? And when he says, I want you to release that. I want you to let go of this anxiousness. I want you to let go of this temptation. I want you to flee from it. I want you to let go of this idol. I want you to not spend so much time doing this, because it has your heart more than I have your heart, what are you going to do? If you figure that out, and it's a great start to the journey, if it's just the lectures, I believe you'll miss out so much, so, so, so much joy, maybe even eternity, not for me to decide. But if you want to be a student, if you want to be a student, that's where I Want to. That's where many others in the church want to come alongside you wherever you are and help you follow Jesus. But you have to figure that out yourself. What's it going to cost? This can cost everything. Let me pray. Father, we pray as we continue our time together and we'll be at the Lord's table together that you would continue to work in our hearts and reveal to us the true cost of following you. This is a good checkpoint for us all. That we stop and take these words of Jesus at heart and think about them in a way of understanding and saying, you know, this will, if I take this step in faith, this will cost me this. Father, there are so many people with different backgrounds and situations. There's a diversity in this room that exists And yet each person can understand that response that you are asking all of us to loosen our grip on an idol, to move closer to you and away from something else, to set you as priority. And Father, help us to do that by your spirit. Father, I'm thankful for the many brothers and sisters in this church who are stepping out and saying, I want to help others as I'm having myself be helped. I want to help others do that. Father, the fact is we're not perfect. We make mistakes, we sin. But Father, change our hearts so that we would come to you more often and worship. Pull us away from the world and towards your Son in a way that we desire him to truly follow the King into eternity, whatever it costs. Father, I pray that as we continue to worship here that we would celebrate you for all that you've done and know that Wherever we are, we can take a new step in following Jesus on this journey. Father, thank you for your grace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people Amen. said. I want to leave you with these words from Jesus. As hard as it is, following Jesus, as much of a cost, he promises to be with us and he promises peace. He says this, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home. And will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, church, have a blessed day, and go in peace.